Hey, so I have to say really quick, uh, I've told some of you I had the privilege, honestly, of going to the Astros game on Friday night, which was a blast. I got to meet my childhood hero, Jose Cruz, for the first time, which was a blast. I had no voice yesterday, basically, really scratchy. I was doing better this morning, and then you sing these songs that I love, and I know you all were singing as loud as I was, right? Yes. So anyway, my voice is a little rough. If I make it through, uh, we'll, be, we'll be grateful. But uh, Ghost Rose, that ends the idolatry. Okay, I'll let it go now. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's pray, and we'll get started. Uh, Father God, we are grateful. Um, grateful for joy, uh, grateful for good times, and trusting you in hard times. So uh, grateful that you give us these stories, uh, you give us words uh, that are relevant to us, that comfort us, that give us hope, that tell us the truth about the situation that we're living in each and every day. So as always, open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to what you would have for us to receive today. We pray that it would transform us from the inside out so that we can truly be not just people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, but followers of Jesus, who are taking you into every part of the world, everywhere we go. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so today we're going deep in metaphor, all right? I want you to imagine a river and not like our muddy San Jacinto. I want you to imagine a clear, cool, flowing, sometimes raging river. And at one end of the spectrum, maybe you imagine uh, tubing the Guadalupe, right? Sometimes slow, sometimes it moves along at a really nice pace, never so intense that you can't keep a cooler of cold ice water upright, <laughs> right next to you. And then at the other end of the spectrum, maybe you drive west to the Rockies or east to the Appalachian Mountains and you're tossed and turned as you navigate the rocks on top of the cold, rushing water. So just imagine something in between, right? Cool, flowing water, faster than the Guadalupe, but not so fast that you need a raft all the time, a river flowing fast enough that if you just relax every muscle and turn on your back, the river will just take you. And again, sometimes the ride is nice, it's relaxing, it's fun, it feels good. But sometimes it gets intense, sometimes out of nowhere, and you begin to stress and worry that the water is just gonna overwhelm and overpower you. This is the world we live in. It is a rushing river. It's sometimes the flow is just right. It's nice, it's relaxing, it's fun. And then sometimes, like just out of nowhere, the river turns and the chaos of the rapids, the danger of the rocks, it brings real fear and panic, legitimate fear and panic. And the sheer volume of the water around you, its power makes you feel powerless. This is the world that we live in. And it's not just the world that we live in today. These are the same waters that our brothers and sisters in scripture had to navigate. These are the same waters that threatened to overwhelm and destroy them. These are the same waters that often led the people of God astray. And the stories in scripture, they're describing a people who are in the midst of the same river we are and they are faced with a choice. Do I just go along with the world? Do I just lay back and let the river take me? Or do I press against it? Do I turn around and start swimming against the stream? And we are faced with that same choice every day. So last week we talked about Daniel again this morning. Beth told the story of Daniel and the lion's den. We've talked about Daniel and his three friends. And we're seeing that this book really is a story of a people who are navigating that river. 
I want to tell you, there's a group of us that have been studying the book of Daniel for the past few weeks on Wednesday nights on Zoom at 7.30. You're welcome to join us. But all of those classes are being recorded and you can find them on the website as well. This book is relevant and it is so practical for us for all time. But I am realizing in this study just how practical and relevant it is for us today. Because they knew what we need to know. That the river itself is what is going to take them further away from God if they let it. And they say no. And they do that by choosing to remember who God is and what he's done. They decide to resist the temptation to grow farther and farther from God. They choose when to swim upstream. And in all of that, they understand that it's only by completely relying on God's power that it's even possible for them to swim against the stream. So this is the life of a person who's walking this knife's edge of faithfulness that we talked about last week. The life of a person who has received the saving love of God as they're living in the midst of a lost and broken world. It is a life of swimming upstream, constantly going against the flow of a sometimes raging river. And y'all, it is exhausting. It is exhausting. The scripture never promises us an easy ride in this life. I believe it's actually making it really clear that the easy ride, the easy thing to do is just lay back and let the river take you. That's the daily temptation. But from start to finish throughout scripture, there's a clear warning. That river is only gonna take you farther and farther away from God and that is just not where we belong. So Daniel, his friends, they knew the struggle. He was faithful and God gave him the strength to keep on swimming. But he was exhausted, always swimming upstream. And one night, we get to Daniel chapter seven. One night he has a dream. Um, so I wanna read most of that dream to you today uh, because I really believe that this dream offers the only hope to a bunch of tired swimmers. So I wanna share this with you. This is from Daniel chapter seven. If you have your own Bibles, if you wanna read along, I'm gonna read most of it. Uh, Daniel says, in my vision at night I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted up from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts and it had 10 horns. And he goes on to say, as I looked, there were thrones that were set in place. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed 
and thrown into the blazing fire. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. And what in the world did he eat the night before? (laughs) That was a weird dream. But if you were around uh, as we read through the Revelation at the end of the Bible last year, this should sound really familiar to you. Beasts and horns and a God whose clothes were as white as snow. The question is, you've been hearing these stories that Beth has told you, that I have told you, why is that here? If you read the book of Daniel, it starts with six chapters that are stories. And they're incredible, fantastic stories about God's power, but they're just narratives. They're just stories. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the book, almost out of nowhere, we get this crazy apocalyptic dream. Why? Because Daniel and his people needed hope. Now, when we studied Revelation and apocalyptic literature, we learned a few things. First, we learned that apocalyptic literature is not primarily about predicting future events. When you hear people teaching Revelation and this kind of stuff and all they're focused on is what's going to happen, you're missing the point. Its primary purpose is not predicting future events. Its purpose is to pull back the curtain to reveal what's really real. It's revelation to show us what reality looks like from God's perspective. It's not an omen of some coming destruction. It's revealing that the destruction is already taking place all around us. The second thing we learn is that apocalyptic literature doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. It uses symbols and vivid imagery to paint the picture of reality from God's perspective. And it does it this way to pull us into the story, to make the nature of our current situation abundantly clear to us, to remind us that without God, if we don't remember, if we don't resist, if we don't rely on God's power through all of it, we will be overtaken by the raging river. We will be swallowed up by the beast. We may even become beasts ourselves. But either way, that beastly river will consume us. And yes, that is terrifying. But the purpose of apocalyptic literature, the purpose of Daniel's dream and the book of Revelation, it's not to instill instill terror. The purpose is to inspire hope. I said this all through the study of Revelation and I'll say it again today. If you hear that and become terrified, you're hearing it wrong. (laughs) Because it's not telling you anything you don't already know. It's just revealing things that we already know are true. Watch the evening news. Things are already terrifying. The beast is already consuming us. Apocalyptic literature, this dream of Daniel, it's a gift because it does what the world can't and won't do. It tells us the truth. It tells us the truth about our current situation and then it gives us hope because it reminds us that it won't always be this way. So when we read this kind of stuff, we remember it doesn't mean what it says, it means what it means. So what does it mean? 
What I love about Daniel is he tells us. We don't have to wonder. Listen to what comes next. This is Daniel 7, starting in verse 16. He says, I approached one of those standing there, and I asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me, and he gave me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings that rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Now, I want to warn you really quick. As we do this, and you hear these descriptions, resist the temptation to identify them. Resist the temptation to say, hmm, who is that? Which king are they? Resist it. And just receive the picture, because the point is coming in the end. Daniel says, then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, and it was the most terrifying, with its iron teeth and its bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. So he gave me this explanation. He goes on later to say, the fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It'll be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns you saw are 10 kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will have subdue the three kings. See, here's the thing. You might want to start saying, well, I wonder which historical figures are these kings. That's not the point. What's the point? After them, another <laughs> It's going to keep happening, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Another one's going to come until these kings will speak against the Most High, oppress God's holy people, try to change the time and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and time and a half. But the court will sit. His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. So I'm going to resist the temptation to explain all this imagery, because the bottom line is this. The beast, in whatever form it takes, it's nasty. <laughs> but it will be overcome. Its power will be taken away. It will not have power and authority over us forever. That raging river will eventually be calm once and for all. It'll be made still and we'll be able to swim to shore and find our rest. But until then, we have to keep on swimming. So for a people who were right in the midst of this struggle, for Daniel and the Jews, they're exiled in Babylon. For them, where's the hope? For us today, living in a culture and in a world that is more and more aggressively opposed to the will and the word of God, where is the hope? In the middle of this rushing stream stands a solid rock, a firm foundation, protection and security from the raging waters until that river stops flowing once and for all and the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And who is that solid rock? Who is that firm foundation? Jesus. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> I mean, you all knew that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Just a little nervous to say it out loud in church. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you when it's rhetorical, Bill. <laughs> I'll say, Bill, this is rhetorical. <laughs> yeah, we know this. Jesus. He is the solid rock. He is the firm foundation. Now, here's the deal. 
He was here. He was in the river with us. He was destroyed and overtaken by the chaotic waters of this world. So why do we think that we can escape it? But he rose back up in the midst of it. And in doing so, he forever changed its course. That's our hope. That is our only hope. Daniel describes him this way. He says, there before me, one like a son of man. The son of man will be Jesus' favorite title for himself. There will be one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's Daniel writing. Now fast forward 600 years. Jesus is standing trial, accused by the very people he came to save. And in that trial, he's asked a really direct question by a man named Caiaphas. And Caiaphas was the man in Israel. He was the high priest at that time. Caiaphas said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. And listen to how Jesus replies. He says, you have said so. <laughs> Whew. <laughs> that was bold. And Caiaphas begins to fume. But this is what makes him furious. Jesus goes on to say, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. Okay, listen, so I've never actually done this before, um, but if I were to go to one of those Star Wars or comic book conventions, do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know that there are Star Wars and comic book conventions. There's like thousands of, you know, nerds <laughs> who get together, many dress up as their favorite fictional characters. They celebrate the stories they love. It's a real thing. I have not done it yet. Yeah, but if I were to go to one of these conventions and I were dressed in all black and I were wearing this helmet and I was carrying around a red, light, red lightsaber and if I came up to you and I said these words, I am your father, what role would I be playing? It's not rhetorical, yeah, <laughs> Darth Vader. For those of you at all familiar with the story, obviously I'm playing the role of Darth Vader and if I said that to you, Bill Ford, I am your father, what role am I assigning to you? Luke. Okay, I know that's silly, but I want you to think about that in the context of what I just said. Jesus is an innocent man standing trial, accused by the people he came to save. And in that moment, rather than defend himself, he quotes scripture back to them. He quotes back to them their story, scripture that everybody knows. The scripture that describes and defines what's happening in that very moment. He points back to Daniel's dream and everybody in the room knew exactly what he was doing. He was assigning roles. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Which role is Jesus taking on? He is the son of man. And if Jesus is the son of man, then who or what is Caiaphas? Who 
or what is the mob making accusations against him and getting ready to nail him to a cross? You're the beast. There before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victim and trampled underfoot whatever was left. They had become the beast. But if you know the story, what happens to the beast in the dream? I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into a blazing fire. Y'all, Caiaphas and that crowd, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew exactly what he was doing. He is claiming to be the son of man. They are the beast. And Caiaphas tore his clothes and said, he's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death, they answered. As we struggle to swim upstream, as we wrestle with living life on that knife's edge of faithfulness, as we are living every day in a really lost and broken world, I think, I think everybody agrees with that. I don't think anybody on the planet believes that this world is perfect. Everybody believes that there's something really wrong. And as we are living in the midst of that, y'all, I want you to know there is hope. There is hope. But there is only one hope. And it's the one who was crucified, crushed, and trampled by that beast. It's the one who was then raised from death, who walked out of that tomb in victory, the one who overcame the worst the river could ever do to us. So we know that. But maybe some days we feel like, gosh, the river is just too strong. Like I can see that solid rock, but man, instead of taking on that difficult task of swimming against the stream until we reach it, maybe sometimes we just settle. And we say, look, there's a really strong branch floating by right next to me. I'll just, I'll just grab it. I'll hold on to that. And it might keep us afloat for a minute, but, but where is that branch going? It's floating down the river, just like we are. Like it might keep us from drowning in the moment, but it's still leading us to our destruction. And that branch can be many things, all the different ways that we cope with life in this world, rather than swimming to and standing on the solid rock. And those things might provide momentary comfort, but y'all, they are pitiful saviors. And they can be substances or sex or stuff, indulging our desires, walking away from our commitments. Yes, I have to check myself because sometimes it can be my favorite team going to the World Series. Sometimes, even religion is nothing more than a floating branch down the river. We turn to religion rather than turn to faith. Caiaphas was very religious, and he was a beast. There are always branches floating by, tempting us to grab onto them, promising us that they can keep us afloat, but not telling us the whole truth that they're just taking us the same place that we would end up on our own, farther and farther away from God. And that is just not where we belong. So there is hope, but there is only one hope. And it's found in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. 
the son of man victorious over death, making the way clear for us to share in that victory with him. Our job is to keep on swimming, to remember, to resist, and to rely on God to guard us and to give us the fortitude and the strength that we need to keep on swimming back to him. And I can't promise you that this life will ever be easy. I can promise you that swimming against the stream is and will always be exhausting. It is an exhausting act of faithfulness. But it's the life we're called to and I believe it's the only choice we have. What I can promise you is that in the end, that river will be made still once and for all. And God's children will find themselves not at the bottom of the sea, but in the arms of their loving father. In John 16, uh, Jesus is getting ready for the end and he tells his disciples, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But everybody say it together. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Glory to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.